Um, but our gospel this week, if you'd like to follow along, you can scan one of those QR codes um, and pull it up, or you can just sit and listen. Um, it is continuing in the gospel of Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. He would not permit them to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Gospel of our Lord. Uh, Yeah, so... Some of us have been around the last few weeks. Some of us are just popping in on this. So I thought maybe it would be helpful to do a little um, catch up on the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Does that sound good? We all here? Okay. Um, so this is the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. But um, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. If you were here, you're not off the hook. How does the Gospel of Mark begin? What is the very first story? It's a very popular name. Starts with a J. He's out in the wilderness. I got all day. I get paid by the hour. I wish. I John is out in the wilderness in the Gospel of Mark. So Matthew and Luke are the ways that we think the story should begin. It's the Christmas stories. It's the cute little baby Jesus and angels and shepherds and all that stuff. That is not in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of John is this spiritual theological treatise about the Word and the Word made flesh and all this heady stuff. It takes a long time to wrap around. That is not the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is quick and efficient. Mark likes to get to the point. Everything happens immediately. And so the Gospel of Mark fast forwards through all the boring stories of Jesus' birth right to John in the wilderness a few decades later. I mean, John is out in the wilderness proclaiming um, this baptism of repentance. Another way of thinking about that is John is out in the wilderness, this crowd gathering around him, and he's telling everyone, it is okay to be wrong. It is okay to change your mind. It is okay to say, it's time to go in a new direction especially for us in a culture where everything says stick to your guns and and double down on what you believe and think and and never show any weakness by saying that you've learned something. John says, oh, no, 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 no. The way of God in this world is a way of constant reflection and turning, that U-turns are holy and good. And for whatever reason, that gathers these crowds around him, and they are all blessed by this reminder that it is okay to learn and change and grow. So that's the very beginning. It's the first story. And then a few weeks ago, we got into the calling of Jesus' first disciples. That's what happens next. There's a gold star next to your name if you get all four of the first fishermen called, but I love doing this to everyone. First thing, this is so good. Nice. 
Give that man a gold star. I really do have gold stars. I will get you a gold star to wear for the rest of the day. Um, so Andrew, Simon, James, and John, these four fishermen are by the side of the uh, lake. They're fishing, kind of. Um, they're all people who fish, but um, Andrew and Simon are actually casting nets out trying to catch fish. Um, James and John, if you'll remember how the story goes, they are not. They are in their boat, but they're mending all the holes in their nets. Vital, important work. You can't fish unless you do all the things that we don't think about when we think about fishing. It's not just about getting out in the water and doing stuff. It is also about the, the preparation, the patience, the time. I mean, I just, I pictured these two like trying together to work as a team to fold a fitted sheet full of holes and to mend all those holes. And it's brutal work with someone you love, correct? Um, and yet vital and important. Um, and so then I think out of that little passage is a little reminder that when we think about what it means to be called to follow Jesus, it's not just to take this metaphor, go fish for people and, and do what we do for the sake of others. It's also to, to recognize there's specificity in that. And part of what we do in this world as disciples is help ourselves and others mend all those little holes and tears so that we're able to fully be and do all the things God's made us to do. That was two weeks ago. And then last week I left because it's all about demons in the synagogue. And I was like, JC, good. You go. You're in seminary. You have all this stuff. Um, but it's a fascinating continuation because think of that moment when you got hired for your first job when you felt wholly unqualified, when you did not know why you landed this gig, but for whatever reason, here you are, and you are ready to, to step out, and what do you need to do? Your first day on the job, we'll show up on time, that's a pro tip, and prove yourself, right? Who just want to prove themselves? You, you did not make a mistake by hiring me. I know what I'm doing. I can learn. Whatever it happens to be, I am here. I'm ready. I'm engaged. So the very first activity that we have in Mark's gospel of the disciples, now they have this new job, is with Jesus in the synagogue. And suddenly this person with an unclean spirit pops up and starts screaming. I don't have a plant in the crowd, but I'm thinking I should have. Um, what would we do? What would we do if someone disrupted our nice orderly conversation about God and love and the world. Probably one of two things. We either all stare. Anyone who's have a child in church before knows that's feeling. Also, um, we like to avoid eye contact when things are uncomfortable. Because if you make eye contact, then you have to engage. Um, so I imagine this whole synagogue of people that are inspired by Jesus' teaching with authority, and we have all this beautiful language about how it's this magical moment, and then all of a sudden it's destroyed, it's ruined by this outburst. <laughs> I mean, the one translation says unclean spirit, another says demons, whatever it is, it is evil personified in this world, just sort of blurting itself out and ruining our nice decorum. And what does the disciples, their first day on the job, what do they do? They probably stare and then immediately avoid eye contact. We don't know. We have no chronicle or recording. As JC was talking about last week, we all sort of get that impulse when we're driving down Mass and Cass or we're in front of a situation that makes us uncomfortable to just sort of pretend like it's not there. That is all the information we have because the disciples do not step up. They don't do any particular thing. First day on the job and they just sit there. And Jesus is the one who has the wherewithal to actually call a thing a thing and to stand up and say, this is not who you are. This is not who you are supposed to be to cast out this demon, to, to kick this unclean spirit out of this gathering. I mean, it's a weird language. It's a weird thing to wrap our heads around in our modern kind of context, except we get 
um, as was pointed out last week, that there is a lot of evil and brokenness in this world. And we get that a lot of times it's easier to just sort of find ourselves avoiding eye contact or pretending something doesn't exist than it is to engage it. And so, first day on the job, the disciples are here with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 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 your new gig is not catching fish, it is confronting evil in big public bold ways. Easy, right? We had last week this reminder that all the skills that you need to do this, you already have. We notice it, we see it, we know it's not right, but why is it so difficult for us to engage? Okay, this is demoralizing, this is the first day on the job. This is the first instance we have of the disciples following Jesus, and they don't speak up. They do nothing. So then we have today this scene. We are finally caught up. And what happens next? They go home. And if you had a long day at work, it's the first thing you want to do. Go home. Be around people who love you and care about you and are not going to talk about widgets or spreadsheets or whatever that thing is that was driving you crazy all day long, that weighs on your head from earlier in the morning. Um, so we have um, Jesus and James and John and Simon and Andrew, they all go to Simon's house um, where his mother-in-law is sick. We can picture this moment <laughs> where someone you love is not feeling well um, and so often, um, depending on who that is or, or maybe their age or the circumstances of that unwellness, um, there's various levels of concern. If it's a little kid, maybe less so than an older adult, but, but suffice it to say, this is serious. This is the kind of moment where everyone's sort of wondering what is going to happen next. And Jesus, in the middle of this moment, has this incredibly tender moment. It's the exact opposite of the public rebuke of a demon in the middle of the synagogue. Jesus takes Simon's mother-in-law's hand. And I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of us have sat next to someone's bed and held their hand because we had no idea what else to do? How many of us know the power uh, when we feel powerless of having someone be there and just be there? To say, I don't know the right words, I don't know what happens next, but I'm not going to go anywhere. And we have the exact opposite of this thing that, that confronted the disciples with all their inadequacies and their, their reminders that they may not have all the skills they need yet to do this work. The exact opposite, something we all can do, all have done, all are good at. Empathy, caring, compassion, presence. That is this next example of what it means for them to follow Jesus and be his disciples, to sit and hold someone's hand in a moment of uncertainty. And then her fever leaves her. She, Jesus raises her up and she begins to serve. Um, there's an awful lot um, that can be broken down or said about that particular line, but um, just to sort of short circuit all of that, um, that verb in, in Greek, the verb to serve, is the same verb that Jesus uses to describe what he's doing in this world. I came not to be served, but to serve. So when we hear that this fever leaves Simon's mother-in-law, she gets up and she serves, I think it's probably a cue for us, not about some sort of gender role or stereotype. It's a cue for us that she had a bunch of house guests and she probably loved to host. This was great. Simon is finally home and I'm able to put out a spread and we're able to sit and talk late into the night except she was sick. And how horrible is that for an extrovert to have a party going on in your house and you can't be part of it? I feel this so deeply. 
Jesus restores her to who she is, what she enjoys doing. She's able to be back and part of this beautiful moment that probably doesn't occur very often as they are traveling and, and fishing and, and now going throughout Galilee. I mean, she has these people that she loves in her home and is able to be part of that conversation again. That is what this new little window into what it means to be disciples unveils to us. And then from there, more come. We have... I think a few, a, f- a fair amount of like large existential kind of challenges in the world. I won't ask you to name them. This is like a stress-free morning. Um, we also in our own lives have a fair number of things that we don't have a resolution for or necessarily uh, next steps to move forward. There are things that just sort of hang over us that are uncertain, that are unclear. Um, there are some things that we need to care about, but we're not sure how to care about them because we haven't even wrapped our brain around the reality of those situations yet. I mean, we know, we feel deeply all of those moments that we cannot solve or resolve or come to a neat and tidy conclusion in. Um, and the worst thing that can happen in relation to all of those things is, is that moment where you feel like you are the only one where it rests on your shoulders, where you have to figure it out. Anyone ever been backed into that corner where you just felt like no one else is having this conversation or no one else has this particular collection of burdens or no one else is right here with me right now as I'm trying to juggle and figure all this stuff out where we feel like we are just alone and not well and there's no one with us. And Jesus cuts through all of, of that stuff that circles in our heads and holds Simon mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law's hand. And then the community starts to come. And I think there's, there's something to be said for, oh, it's a miracle. She's up on her feet and, and I want to go be healed. That's something. I think, too, more to the point, um, there is this moment where suddenly people recognize um, that they're not alone. That there are plenty of people in their community, in their lives, that are willing to sit and and hold their hand, to be with them. That even when they're not sure what the next step is or how this is going to end or resolve, they don't have to wade in that uncertainty by themselves. And so what happens in this moment is is Jesus takes this big dramatic thing and then says, but also, as my disciples just know, it is enough to just be with others, to hold a hand in that power, that act of just being present with someone else reverberates out into the community and others start to come. The community rallies around. Yeah, maybe looking for a little hope, a little healing, but also who doesn't want to be part of that? Who doesn't want to share in that moment, that experience of reminding other people that you are with them? Here's the thing I always wonder about. It says that everyone's sort of pressing in on on this house. We can assume it's not a very large home, and and sure, Simon's mother-in-law is up now and hosting, and and they're sort of catching up, but also as people press in at night, what do they talk about? And after all, it's like a take a number, first come, first serve kind of deal, right? To be healed. I don't know. Uh, presumably, Jesus doesn't just speak to everyone. It's a very personal, kind of intimate moment. This is what we have exampled already in the beginning of the text. So then what do you all talk about while you're waiting in line? While you're waiting outside? While you're gathered around the door? So often we think that it's about finally getting to ride the ride to the front of the line, to be selected, to be next. 
But I imagine there was an awful lot of healing and wholeness that happened in all those little conversations while everyone was waiting to even see Jesus. I imagine neighbors who hadn't talked for a while were finally able to catch up, to, to hang out, to be reminded how much they cared about each other, to be reminded that, that even though I thought I was the only one that had stuff I was working on and needed this kind of level of healing, um, oh, you too? Really? I had no idea. Imagine all of the conversations and the connection, the reminders of community, of togetherness that were happening outside of that door from this one little moment of Jesus being willing to hold a hand, to be present in the middle of uncertainty, to wait it through until the next thing came. I have a feeling that the disciples and all of their urge to prove themselves were feeling a little off kilter from their lack of response in the synagogue. Like we're supposed to be his followers, supposed to know what to say, how to step up to this. Um, I feel like they then got to Simon's mother-in-law's house and they were thinking again, like, what are we supposed to do? Like now we have a family member, a loved one who is ill. We want to stay here. We want to be present in this moment. We can't go gallivanting off around the country. Jesus demonstrates this moment of importance, of family, of community, of just taking time to be present. And then out of that, out of that, I wonder if they, if we finally start to get it just a little bit. And remember back to that reminder, I am calling you now to help mend people's nets, to pull those holes that just sort of rip and tear in our life back together again. I wonder if this is the moment we all start to realize, oh, it means being here and caring, being willing to put ourselves out there and and figure out what it looks like to be a community again. It's about all of those conversations that happen, maybe while we're waiting for something more monumental or or straightforward to occur. There's a lot of healing and wholeness, a lot of God pulling us towards something new, pulling us back together, just in the waiting together for whatever that next thing is. It was in Billings, Montana last Sunday. Um, and there's a Starbucks like a half mile from my hotel, hotel coffee. I mean, right. So, um, of course I found myself several times walking down to this Starbucks and back. And, um, it was sort of late afternoon. The sun was setting. There's lots of mountains. And so it gets darker sooner. And I found myself walking down the street. Um, a lovely, very nice young couple offered me drugs. I thought maybe I should return by a different street back to my hotel. Um, so I was walking down the other street on the opposite side um, on the way back and um, just happened to hear this conversation between two people that were um, getting ready to, to go to sleep for the night outside. Um, Billings, Montana. It was 50 degrees when I was there. The week before it was negative 55. Um, I'm hoping they weren't sleeping out last weekend. Um, but I just, you know, it takes you a while to walk from here to there. I just happened to hear just this snippet of this conversation. Um, the, the woman that was, that was laying on a suitcase said, you know what I really miss? I miss my privacy. That's all I caught. I mean, imagine all the things she said all day long um, while people were walking by. It just happened like that thing. I don't know if I just needed to hear that, um, if that was meant for me. But I, I just found myself like suddenly, you know, your ears perk out perk up. Um, And then the guy that she was with, um, I don't think they knew each other. They had just found the same kind of sheltered spot. He said to her, "Um, yeah, I just am so lonely. Talking to another person to say that. And how many of you, when you are really lonely, are bold enough to say to someone, I'm really lonely? 
I mean, to get to the point where we are able to be that kind of vulnerable, that kind of honest. And I distinctly remember thinking as I was walking past, I can't weigh in. Like, that seems awkward and bizarre. I don't have anything to give. They don't want half of a coffee. Um, how do I engage? How do I be present in this moment? What does it look like to, to hold a hand, to say you're not alone? And, and right in that moment, it occurred to me that while I'm like having this little existential crisis of my own, all of our teenagers were up at Common Cathedral in Boston with people experiencing homelessness, out learning names and, and hearing stories, maybe not physically holding hands, but sharing coats and a meal and, and learning that it is powerful and profound to actually look up and make eye contact with people that might make us uncomfortable in a different situation or circumstance. It didn't make me feel better about that moment, but it was a little window, a little reminder into the beauty of this community that God knits together, a community that stretches far beyond a, a sidewalk in Billings or downtown crossing, um, a, a community that reminds us that we are called to care, to listen. You know, the only thing I had to offer to them was a, hi, have a good night. And I think I was probably the only person who talked to them that day. They were shocked. It was, it was almost like intruding on someone's private and personal conversation. I felt a little guilty at first. And then there was a smile. I'm like, you have a good night too. As I went back to my fancy hotel, as I tried to figure out what all this stuff meant. I mean, I think so often our life is full of all those moments. Where we're not sure how to act, but we know we should act. We know that God is calling us to something more, but we also are just trying to sort of make it home at the end of the day. And then we have this reminder there is beauty, there is power in just holding someone else's hand and just being there, being willing to say hello, to, to say you're not alone, and that that draws out so many other people to experience that community, those connections, that healing, that wholeness. The end of the story is that Jesus goes away to pray. A good reminder for all of us that we are not meant to burn ourselves out. It is good to stop and recharge and reconnect, to, to think and listen to what God is trying to tell us about what comes next. But then um, the disciples say, there's more people smashed at the door waiting for you. Where have you been? The, the queue is getting really backed up here. We need to get on with this healing and, and pulling people together. And Jesus says, it's time for us to go. Now, I think uh, of Jesus as someone who is, is very caring and empathetic, uh, not callous or, or all about sort of performance or efficiency. I mean, why leave when there's still work to be done? Why leave when people are still desiring wholeness? I think the answer comes in the fact that they now have gathered together with one another and are having all of those little conversations and connections and reminders that hands are now being held the people are being healed just from the fact that they are plugged back into, reminded about all of the things that they have right around them that never went away, but maybe we feel so distant from. I think Jesus says to his disciples, try, just try this. Um, try being there and holding a hand, reminding community what it looks like to be there for each other and then letting that go. A reminder to us that as church, it's not about a particular way of being or doing. It is about caring, 
each and every day for one another, to see the impact that has to pull us closer together so other people and other conversations that we are not part of or just happened to overhear change people's lives, remind them that they aren't alone, bring them back to this moment of healing, even if it is not in the miraculous you are healed kind of way. I love the, the thing that, that pulls Simon's, mother, Simon's mother-in-law out of this moment of despair is Jesus holding her hand and lifting her up. I don't know about you. I don't know how to like cast out a demon in the middle of the synagogue. I know how to hold someone's hand. I know how to push through my own discomfort and hang out with someone in the middle of a moment that just needs someone to remind them that they're not alone. And may we all be blessed to know that that is what it looks like to be faithful disciples in this world. Amen?